Do you have what it takes to run the show on Ganymede? Well, let's find out with One Must Fall 2097 this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 111 of the Upper Memory Block Podcast. I'm your host, Joe, back with you once again to talk about a game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. And boy, do we have a full uh, show for uh, for you guys today. A uh, little bit late with things uh i was doing really well being uh you know being monthly and all that and then uh you know a bunch of things life type stuff work type stuff happened long weekend with uh you know in canada july 1st is our sort of uh independence day canada day confederation day if you will <laughs> and um you know i always say that uh canadians uh gained their independence from uh britain with uh lawyers and by becoming unprofitable as a colony versus uh the americans that uh you know went with the whole civil war situation so um yeah uh you know we had a good uh, good long weekend and and all that sort of stuff and um you know unfortunately prepping the show fell to the wayside a little bit but we are here and uh still planning to put out another show uh this month we'll uh by the end of the month on the regular schedule we will uh get around to that by the end but uh yeah you know as we will see this uh this show like i said is uh it might actually run a little on the long side because um i had initially asked uh, i had initially not received any emails about uh about this uh this episode's topic and i thought that was a bit strange so i took to twitter and uh and asked and uh i got uh more than i bargained for and i have uh emails in spades so uh it was almost almost to the point where i was i was going to split out the uh the email responses into a sort of a separate mailbag uh, follow-up show. But I think there's, we're just at the limit where uh, I can keep them in the same show and keep things to a manageable length. So uh, that said, uh, I do have one sort of more general uh, voicemail, which I will hold for the next episode. And, uh, you know, let's just roll right into things here. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for okay. So as I said, a uh, big show. We're here with a, a big guy, one of the 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 titans of my memory. Uh, the One Must Fall series. So One Must Fall was developed by a company uh, we haven't spoken about before, uh, with good reason, <laughs> called Diversions entertainment uh the series consists of either two or three games uh, depending on your opinion of the the first entry uh that first game was really a, a demo sort of a tech demo a proof of concept simply named one must fall the first commercially available game in the series one must fall 2097 was released in the year 1994 so as we do, um, let's talk genre. I've 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 sort of been rocking the boat with uh, with genres in the 
in the the past little while and and this time around's no different once again despite the show being you know six over six uh years old um i'm touching a genre i haven't covered before the fighting game so a a fighting game focuses on hey no big surprise interpersonal combat so when a, a pure fighting game the focus is is very very much on on one-on-one fighting uh usually in some form of of sanctioned or otherwise organized tournament structure uh fighting games don't generally mix uh story elements navigation or other types of uh non-fighting mechanics into their core gameplay uh all we've really got here is is fighting if, if there's a story to be had, it tends to be between fights and not during them. Uh, combat in a fighting game has a very clear beginning where either a player and AI opponent or two human players or something like that uh, face off against each other and, and fight until, you know, and, until one, one must fall, until, uh, until one combatant is, uh, is defeated. Uh, this combat sequence generally takes place in some form of arena with a fairly limited movement area. Uh, since One Must Fall is a 2D fighting game, uh, movement is really restricted to forward, backward, uh, crouching and jumping within pretty much a, a single screen view. And that's fairly common for, uh, for 2D uh, side, side view kind of fighting games. Um, as for uh, as for the fighters, you as the player are generally required to select from a pool of available avatars. Uh, well, well, most of the characters you select are are generally viable options. They don't really say create a character that's like you know totally nerfed or one that's totally overpowered or whatever. Um, each character in a fighting game likely has a. We'll have a different fighting style. Some may focus on power. Others may focus on speed. Others on uh, endurance and things uh, like that. Uh, Street Fighter, as as we all know, uh, Street Fighter, Street Fighter, uh, Street Fighter Two, or the original Street Fighter. I can't quite remember. Uh, I think it's the original Street Fighter, which uh, released in 1991, introduced the concept of uh, of hidden special attacks to uh, to the fighting game genre. So uh, on top of each fighter having a specific fighting style. Uh, players also had the option of entering some special control combinations to execute uh, some more powerful custom attacks. Uh, players could also generally, in fighting games, execute uh, combo attacks, chaining hits together for either uh, increased damage, uh, increased defense, some other benefit, or or just for for more points. Uh, combat in a fighting game is is split into a, a set of rounds, usually something like best of three. So, you know, if you win two rounds out of three, you are the winner of the fight. Um, of course, most fighting games also implement multiplayer, either via kind of dual controllers, which was a popular option on uh, in arcades and on home consoles, or, or via modem or internet link, though uh, timing issues can make this a bit of a technical challenge because a fighting game is obviously very, very twitchy, very, uh, you know, split seconds, milliseconds of, of when a move is, is executed tend to count. So that becomes um, a little bit more difficult over the internet, especially in the time frame of uh, the show that I tend to talk about. Okay, story time. So 
for the bulk of the story and uh, and gameplay sections, I'll, I've actually for for basically for the the everything except the end of the dev story, I'm I'm probably going to be focusing on the first commercial game in the series, One Must Fall, twenty. 97. So, as I said in the genre section, fighting games aren't generally massively into story. That said, uh, One Must Fall 2097's game manual, which is actually just a text file included uh, included with the game, uh, does give us a bit of background. And while it isn't the most creative thing in the world, it does at least give us some context as to why we are r- randomly fighting people. So the year is, uh, of course... 2097 uh since it's the 90s uh in the you know when this game came out and uh and we are looking into the future as things tend to be uh with uh future forward-looking uh media in in the 90s uh world governments have obviously been taken over by a large set of mega corporations uh one of these mega corporations the uh, world aeronautics and robotics or war <laughs> as it's more affectionately known is the largest and most powerful of these uh these mega corporations uh war gained prominence due to its leading research into human assisted robots or HARs or as I'm probably going to call them for the rest of the time uh HARs. Uh HARs are superior to conventional robots in almost every way. Uh, instead of being controlled by by some rudimentary kind of dumb artificial intelligence like conventional robots, each HAR is controlled directly by a human operator. But there's no screens, there's no joysticks here. The operator or pilot's brain is directly linked to the robot, causing the pilot to effectively become that robot uh, that it is controlling. I mean, it's it's genius, isn't it? Uh, This direct link allowed HAR's human-like independence without exposing the controller to any actual harm. So, you know, HAR's end up being used for challenging and dangerous work that, that... still requires that the creativity and the attention of a, of a human. And this brings us to you. You are an employee of war and uh, a job opportunity has come up. Jupiter's moon of Ganymede is set to be the next spot in the solar system to be colonized by war. Oh, by the way, uh, war also controls all space travel to and from earth. So these guys really have a monopoly on a lot of things. Uh, the powers that be, at the company need to select a war representative to run the show on Ganymede and have come up with a rather interesting interview process. They want all the applicants to, to fight it out. Cause apparently, you know, being a really good fighter in the ring makes you uh, a pretty good uh, senior manager in a, a large corporation. Uh, since, uh, anyone they would consider for the job has been trained in hard usage. They figure a hard tournament for the job, would be ideal who needs to know if you're qualified as long as you can fight with a big robot uh now this is not you know despite the fact that this is uh you know the grim future of the 90s uh this isn't some world where where all decisions get made with a fight to the death uh har sparring at this point is is a novel concept and and you know since the pilots are placed in no danger it's really a perfect situation uh, the tournament will be broadcast live as an advertising opportunity for the latest models of combat hardened HARs and uh, a new age of robotic gladiatorial combat is upon us. So with all that said, there's the background. Let's jump into the gameplay. You are listening to the Upper Podcast. So as we begin, one must fall 2097. 
we are presented with a, a main menu screen that offers us a few choices of uh, game types. These are one player, two player, and tournament. So let's start at the beginning with a simple, quote unquote, simple one player game. Uh, the background of a one player game is exactly what I've just described to you, uh, the job interview for managing Ganymede. So here's the fun part, or at least one of the fun parts of uh, of a, uh, a single player game. Uh, in a regular fighting game, you choose your avatar. You know, if you're if you're playing Street Fighter Two, you might want to be Ken or Ryu or Balanka or Chun Li or or whatever. And you know, that avatar has some set of moves, some set of skills, and all that. And and you proceed to fight with that person. You know, through your play session, and and that's sort of that. Well, the same is true here with an added bonus. So not only do you choose the avatar that you fight with, uh, in this case, a a Har. You also choose that Har's pilot from the shortlist of 10 war staff that are up for the Ganymede job. So let's look at that first thing. Because the first thing you do is, is you select a, a pilot. So aside from their own backstory of you know how, who they are and what their position is with the company and what their history is and what their motivation is for wanting the job and all that stuff, each pilot uh, has a set of three stats. And those are power, agility, and endurance uh these stats are fairly straightforward fairly self-explanatory you could probably figure out what they're what they're for without uh reading the manual uh more power means your pilot tends to do more damage per hit agility means they move more quickly and endurance means they can take a bit more damage than uh, than other pilots each pilot stats affect the performance of the next stage the selection of your har or human assisted robot Again here, so we've got 10 pilots, and we also have an option for 10 HARs. Uh, the HAR selection's a lot more akin to the standard character selection in, in a game like Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, stuff like that. Uh, this is the the avatar that you see on the screen when you're playing. Each HAR is is, is quite different from, uh, from all the others, and uh, they all tend to have their own uh, gimmick. As an example, the sort of default uh, HAR, the Jaguar, is known to be a, a very quick and agile combatant, uh, which would pair well with one of the pilots with a, with a high agility score. Uh, on top of these basic characteristics, each Har has uh, three or four special moves. Uh, in the case of the Jaguar, it can perform a Jaguar leap, where it pounces at an opponent, damaging them and knocking them back a bit. Uh, a Shadow Leap, which uh, does the same as the uh, the uh, the Jaguar leap, but uh, but does a bit more damage, and uh, it's a little more difficult to trigger. Uh, the Jaguar can also fire a concussion cannon, which is uh, an actual true ranged attack. And finally, the Jaguar can perform an overhead throw, which is uh, particularly useful in uh, in certain arenas, as uh, as we shall soon see. Uh, other Har's have different sets of moves focused on their general gimmick. The Pyros, as you may guess, has a set of fire-based attacks. The Kronos can put opponents into stasis and it can teleport. The Katana uses bladed attacks. Uh, the Electra uses lightning, so on and so forth. On top of these regular special moves, each Har comes with its own set of scrap and destruction moves. Uh, these are finishing moves that add flourish to the defeat an opponent, uh, 
of the defeat, the defeat of an opponent. In fact, <laughs> my, my words got a little sideways there, but uh, you know, also doing them in the proper combination in the proper arenas can also unlock some additional secret game content. So there, there's a little bit more to it than just uh, just a finish him and a, and a cool, uh, a cool move. Now, another thing to note about these secret moves, and I think this is something that we forget about uh, fighting games that came out around uh, around this time. Uh, they really are secret. The button combos to execute them are, are not revealed in the game manual. You really did need to mess around with the game and have a notepad next to you to discover all the moves for each har. Uh, you know, combining different pilots with different hars really does mix up gameplay uh, quite a bit. So... So, you know, with your selected pilot and your selected heart, you enter the one-player fray. Uh, each fight takes place in one of five arenas. And unlike in other fighting games, where the arena is generally just a, a backdrop for your fight, most arenas in One Must Fall offer some additional uh, challenge. The first arena, the stadium, is just a nice static environment where you just need to worry about your opponents. Uh, the rest of the arenas, though present some environmental hazards that can affect the outcome of your fight. Uh, the Danger Room, some X-Men ripoff here, uh, it's got spikes that randomly protrude from the back wall. They'll jab your heart, causing a little bit of damage. Uh, the Power Plant has electrified walls. Uh, if you get thrown into them, you, you don't receive damage, but it does uh, stun you and, and severely limit the amount of combo hits that you uh, tend to be able to, uh, to string together uh and and this is one particular uh arena where that uh that that overhead throw move in the jaguar definitely comes in uh comes in handy uh the fire pit has a globe floating around above the fighters and if you hit that globe uh it will cause a fireball to come out of the floor just under your opponent and uh, finally, in the desert, groups of one to four fighter jets uh, strafe the arena, and if you're caught by the bullets, you definitely take damage and uh, and get stunned. So, you know, with all that, you, you fight your way through all the other opponents across all the arenas, uh, you know, multiple, at least the arenas, multiple times, and uh, eventually you make your way to fight the big boss himself, Major Kresiak, the president of war. And uh, if you defeat him and his massive custom har, you get the job on Ganymede along with a couple of plot twists. And I will leave it to you guys to figure out what those are. So that's the one player game. Uh, the other major game mode is the tournament mode. Uh, in tournament mode, we're in the same world. However, some amount of time has passed and... Uh, Har combat has gone from an, an intriguing idea within war to the main form of entertainment for the masses. So in tournament mode, you create your own custom pilot uh, and starting off with a, a low-end Jaguar, you enter the fight in any of uh, four worldwide tournaments for, uh, for a monetary reward. As you win, you invest your winnings into repairing and upgrading your Har, perhaps buying a new Har, uh, training yourself and increasing any of your three pilot stats, and, and generally doing whatever you, you can do to remain uh, competitive. As I said, should you decide to pilot a different Har, you can trade in your Jaguar for any other of the, the nine other Har's uh, for, for a bit of a fee. Uh, of course, the game supported local play and, uh, and network play for two-player mode as well. That was more just a head-to-head -head sort of... Uh, fun mode and uh and and that was uh that was that
You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... So tech focus time. Uh, so what did it take to run One Must Fall 2097? Well, at the very least, uh, I guess we're in 1994 now, so things are things are rolling. Uh, at the very least, you needed an 8386 processor, DOS 4, and at least 4 megs of RAM. Now, control-wise, uh, the game supported keyboard input in addition to uh, analog joystick input via a, uh, a game port joystick. Now, uh, joystick is a bit of a misnomer here. Uh, yes, you could absolutely play One Must Fall with a full-on joystick like a Gravis Advance or Microsoft Sidewinder or you know a Thrustmaster uh, FCS or, or, or anything like that. But that wasn't really ideal. Uh, you know, fighting games started their lives in arcades and came into their own on home consoles and because of that, uh, their their control schemes really do come from from that world, and uh, you know the, the developers really do recommend uh, a Gravis gamepad or some similar type of analog gamepad with which to play the game. Uh, so you know the original Gravis gamepad. Uh, for those of you that aren't, the, the three of you that aren't aware of it, uh, was was definitely a a take. Some might say a ripoff, but I will say a take on the the Super Nintendo controller with a left side directional pad and four right side action buttons that are set in a diamond pattern. Um, it did lack a few things when compared to that Super NES controller, though. Uh, it didn't have the standard NES start and select buttons, uh, and it also lacked the L and R shoulder buttons that the Super Nintendo uh, had introduced. Uh, the things it did have that uh, the the SNES controller did not have were two small black toggle switches. Uh, one switch caused the controls to flip so that the gamepad could be uh, turned around and used in a left-handed grip. <laughs> Take that, Nintendo. That, that's pretty slick. So you'd, you'd flip this switch, you'd turn the controller over, so instead of having the wire coming out of the top of the controller like you'd expect, the wire would come out of the bottom of the controller and uh, if you were a lefty, you could have the uh, the D-pad on the right side and the buttons on the left side, which uh, is fairly uh, fairly interesting. Now, the other switch modified the functionality of the four action buttons, uh, setting it to, I guess, what is the default position, uh, allowed all four buttons to act as independent controls. Great when a game uh, leveraged all those buttons, I guess, if you had, you know, a four-axis, four-button uh, joystick like uh, you know something like the Gravis Advanced, where you had the two buttons on top and then the two uh, the two side buttons. Uh, a lot of games, though, a lot of older games, uh, only mapped a two button, a four axis two button joystick. And uh, in this case, flipping the switch to its other setting 
disabled the independent function of, of two of the four buttons. I believe it's the sort of the upper two buttons on the controller. And what it did is it turned them into clones of the bottom buttons, except those two top buttons had auto fire enabled. Uh, this allowed all four buttons to be of use, even in games that only used uh, two of them. Another reason for this switch, and, and most likely the main reason for, uh, for this switch existing, was a, a situation where you had two controllers connected via a Y splitter. Uh, in this case, I believe only two of the buttons were mappable on each controller. Uh, I'm sure if, if I'm wrong, someone please correct me on that. But in my reading, that's uh, I, I was never able to play uh, with, with two Gravis gamepads in my, my own personal experience. So it does make sense to me that, you know, if if you can, there's only a certain amount of, of control paths and, and, and things like that on that uh, that DIN connector that, that plugged into the, the game port. So, you know, you probably couldn't overload it with too many too many controls because it's it's more likely than not that each of those uh each axis and each uh button was mapped to a pin in the, in that connector so there was likely a, a maximum amount that uh that you could uh you could map so uh since one must fall only used two of those buttons one for punch and one for kick it was actually ideally set up for this two gamepad y splitter uh setup also uh the <laughs> the d-pad on the gamepad, uh, if you guys remember the Gravis gamepad, sported a, like a little screw hole in the center of uh, of, of that D-pad, where you could actually insert a, a small joystick. I never personally saw the utility uh, of that thing, and I think most people probably just ended up losing it. But um, you know, some some people, some 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 pundits, some some purists, whatever you want to call them. Uh, say that using the joystick offered more precision movement which was apparently especially useful in in fighting games i'm not quite sure i believe them and i would think you guys i don't do video but you can't see me i, I could imagine someone just sort of like having the little gravis gamepad sitting on their desk somehow like affixed to the desk and moving around the little joystick it, it, it's very cute looking <laughs> of course um the gamepad connected via the game port or midi port that came along with most uh, sound cards. This means that, well, uh, the gamepad was of a much different form factor than a more traditional joystick. It did read from the computer uh, exactly the same way. Um, you know, if, if I remember right, and, and I, I think I do, I did end up getting a Gravis gamepad at one point. I'm pretty sure it was for Commander Keen, but I would definitely have used it when I played uh, One Must Fall. The second generation of the Gravis gamepad, the Gamepad Pro, uh, actually came, instead of having to get a Y-splitter, if you wanted to use two of them, it actually came with a MIDI pass-through connection, and it more closely emulated and or ripped off the the PlayStation 1 controller, uh, that, uh, and that all came out a few years later. Uh, I actually played the game, uh, One Was Fall, in, in DOSBox uh, this time around with my trusty wired Xbox 360 controller, and it, it worked fairly well. Uh, the left analog stick on that controller is the one that mapped to the uh, the movement controls instead of the D-pad, and, and that worked well enough for me. Uh, I did some reading, and I'm certain I could have fiddled with the key mappings and the DOSBox key mapper to get things adjusted, but I, I just didn't really bother. Uh, one trick though that I, I had to figure out is if you are using a 360 controller for this game in particular in DOSBox, I don't think I've experienced it in other games, but uh, it may be true of other games. You do need to do two things. 
First, don't leave uh, the joystick setting set to auto in your DOS box config. You should set it to FCS. Uh, this will uh, actually auto map the the joystick hat control because I guess this is uh, emulating a, a Thrustmaster uh, FCS joystick, a flight control system. So it's like, you know, it looks like the F-16 thing and it's got the hat switch and a bunch of buttons. So yeah, it'll map that hat functionality to, uh, to that D-pad. And if you don't use uh, the FCS mapping, it, it'll never detect that D-pad at all. So even if you want to try and remap it, it won't, uh, it won't like it very much. Secondly, there's an option in DOSBox's joystick setup called Timed Interval for Axis, which is usually set to true. And uh, you, you will need to set it to false, or you will experience this, this very annoying joystick drift which uh, you can clearly observe in, in my first YouTube session with the game over on the YouTube channel. Uh, it makes the menus almost unusable. You basically try and select something and the joystick jumps to everything. The joystick kept jumping to the, to the right <laughs> constantly. And uh, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty irritating. Okay, anyways, enough, enough about game pads. Graphically, uh, this is a very pretty game. It takes full advantage of the 320 by 200 VGA uh, resolution at uh, 256 colors to, to display very well animated and, and very large and, and fairly detailed uh, horror sprites with, with some very cool, very well animated fighting moves. And, uh, you know, sound-wise, again, we're in great hands. Uh, this game's music was composed by Kenny CC Catch Chow, uh, who was uh, a member of the well-known American demo scene group Renaissance. And uh, as I surmised in, uh, in, in my musings on, on my YouTube video, uh, the game's music is not pure recorded digital audio, but tracker music, uh, in this case composed in Scream Tracker. <laughs> I say these words, but I don't really know what they mean. I keep saying it, but the, the demo scene and tracker music is something I really need to dive into more uh, one of these days. I know guys like Jamie who got me a lot of this uh, info and uh, some other friends like Tomer and Trolls and, and you know, voices you've heard on the show um, were were very active followers, active contributors, and, and are still, some of them still making tracker music, uh, Trolls in particular, uh, today. And... Uh, you know, I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, maybe a, a guest spot if you guys want to get together, talk demo scene. I think that'd be uh, super cool because it's just not a scene that I even knew existed uh, back in the day. You know, I had a couple of uh, of tracker files and and something to play them with, but I didn't really understand what they were or the the the, the community behind them. So uh, yeah, love to uh, love to hear a bit more about that. Either way, Kenny's music is just downright incredible and may well be the best part of this game uh, in 2011 he got a wild hair to revisit his work on the game and he reconstructed the game's main menu theme in uh in modern tools and put it up under a creative Commons license on uh on soundcloud you'll be hearing it in its entirety at the end of the show because it is just that damned awesome and you know if you go back to the beginning of this segment and and sort of listen to the beginning of um of the original uh menu theme and then go to the end of the show and and listen to the revised one he he brings it up to date but but damn if he doesn't just make it a little bit cooler
to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for One Must Fall is the brainchild of pretty much one man, uh, Rob Elam. I'm not sure if it's Elam or Elam. Well, I'll just say one or the other. Uh, Rob has always wanted to be a game designer. And uh, when he was around 10 years old in the, in the early 80s, uh, he started programming on a, on a TRS-80. Uh, he worked on various small projects until, uh, until one day in the early 90s when he came across Street Fighter II. Uh, he became obsessed with the game and quickly realized that there were not any comparable fighting games on the PC. In fact, I don't think he thought that there were any fighting games on the PC, and and he may have been right about that. Um, With this thought, he abandoned his other personal projects, one of which being an RPG that he quickly realized uh, was getting him in way over his head, uh, in favor of of building his own fighting game as as sort of an effort to test the waters to see if the genre had a place uh, on on the PC and in DOS. So he started small, a very basic clone of, of what he considered to be the core of Street Fighter II. It was a small game where sort of two fairly generic-looking karate-type fighters face off against each other one-on-one. Uh, along with his brother Ryan, he set out to capture some very basic art. Uh, he got his hands on a video camera, a VCR, and uh, a very expensive at the time $500 video capture card. Uh, the two brothers then filmed Rob doing a variety of martial arts inspired moves and uh, then imported them one frame at a time into this video capture card. And then each frame was then cleaned up in deluxe paint, which, which by then had become the de facto standard for 2D game art and all that it was a, a fairly lengthy uh, lengthy process now this was all done while rob was uh was delivering pizzas for a living uh the two pushed their simplified demo to completion and released it as freeware in may of 1993 uh you know th- their simple demo was not a complete game by far it contained two characters who both had the same set of moves but uh you know the core of a fighting game was was there uh, each character controlled very well. Uh, they could each throw a variety of punches and kicks. Uh, they could jump. They could jump kick. They could jump punch. Uh, they could throw fireballs for ranged attack. And, and they could even teleport. Uh, despite all this, the, the game was clearly a demo, and it didn't have much replay value. Basically, you'd launch the game. There'd be an intro screen. The two combatants would face off against each other. One would beat the other. Uh, there was no AI. It was just a pure two-player game. And uh, once the fight was over the screen basically popped up and said, Hey, do you want to play again? (laughs) So, you know, pretty straightforward, but, um, you know, something was there. Uh, the, the initial release of, of this fighting game called one must fall, uh, was included in some freeware and shareware collections. And, and, you know, it, it made its way around. If that was that we may never have heard of Robbie Lim again. Um, he'd made a fun demo, but at the end of the day, it was just a demo. That is, until it came to the attention of Mark Ryan and Tim Sweeney of Epic Mega Games. Uh, they realized they had something here and uh, they could sell this thing through through this the newly popularized in the early 90s uh, shareware model. All that they needed was uh, the publishing rights and some resources and some money to help Rob make a sellable game out of his his pretty cool demo. 
But Rob had some ideas as well. He quickly realized that making a full game with human characters would be very challenging for him to animate using his existing sort of frame-by-frame capture and digitizing uh, technique. Um, you know, over uh, over the time uh, from which he had started the One Must Fall project to, to this present time, uh, he'd gotten actually pretty handy with 3D Studio, and uh, he felt he could produce 3D models and animation much quicker than uh, than the hand-drawn sort of deluxe paint approach of, of the demo. Uh, since he was doing 3D modeling using robots instead of humans, again, made things a bit easier. It's a lot easier to 3D model a good-looking robot than to try and 3D model a good-looking person. So the core game engine was was that of his original demo, which, again, was simply entitled One Must Fall. The new game, developed with, with help from Epic, uh, featuring futurist, futuristic robots had its name changed to One Must Fall 2097. The background story, game modes, different robots, special moves, the ability to chain combo attacks, all that stuff were, were added in. And uh, as an extra layer of replayability and, uh, and realism, the roster of pilots was added to take advantage of the fact that uh, these robots were the combatants in this, in this new version. So that gave them an extra layer of sort of... Uh, complexity to the game that uh, that made it even a bit more unique so the shareware version was was released uh close to the end of 1993 in that version if my research is correct because i never played the shareware version myself uh you could only play five pilots and three of the robots and the others would all be unlocked if you purchase the full retail version direct from epic uh, in fact you know, now that I'm talking about the shareware model, it's been a while since I've talked about shareware. Uh, it really does seem that the shareware model of uh, of, of gaming is, is is sort of back in force in the mobile world uh, with, you know, free games and in-app purchases and upgrading you to the full version of the game or the ad-free version of the game. And it, it just really strikes me that things really are uh, are cyclical. So <laughs> just, just a thought, a side thought there. Um, either way, one Must Fall 2097 released two very positive reviews and great fan uh, reception. Now, those that didn't love the fighting loved the music. Those that didn't like the single-player campaign loved the tournament mode or they loved the multiplayer. There were a lot of ways to play what was effectively a fairly, a fairly simple game. So overall... Uh, I think Rob himself, uh, in, in actually an interview that that Tomer did with him for uh, for Moby Games, said that you know he he felt it was a fairly successful game, but you know it, it was it didn't set the world on fire. I don't know if I believe that. This is this was a very popular game at uh, at the time. So a few years after One Must Fall twenty ninety seven released, uh, nineteen ninety seven ish. If my calculations are correct, Rob began work on the sequel to One Must Fall 2097, One Must Fall Battlegrounds. Uh, initially, Rob saw a lot of potential in in this new Unreal Engine that was uh, in development by uh, over at Epic. Uh, he wanted to base his game on that engine, obviously saving himself, you know, a lot of a lot of headache and, and all this. Epic. Not so much in uh, in agreement. It was still very early days for Unreal. The original Unreal had not yet been released. And in fact, the engine and the game were both still in heavy development. Epic hadn't even fathomed at this point the concept of licensing out uh, this, this this engine, let alone generalizing it for external use. Uh, 
you know, Epic did want another one this fall, so they told Rob to go and, and do his own thing and and create his own engine. And so he did that. And as it turns out, the game did not end up being published by uh, by Epic, oddly enough. Uh, so you know what what would what could have been with the Unreal Engine a relatively quick project turned into a seven year <laughs> development cycle uh, instead of the traditional. Uh, two-player, one-on-one fighting style. Uh, multiple combatants would uh, would fight each other in a 3D arena in, in One Must Fall Battleground. Uh, taking place 20 years after the original game, uh, players could still control many of the same hearths from the original One Must Fall and select amongst new and old pilots as well. Uh, the hearths were given a fairly nice-looking 3D upgrade, at least from sort of a, a static, standing-still sort of a, a perspective. That said, most other aspects of One Must Fall Battlegrounds lacked polish uh, the fun smooth controls were replaced by sort of a more button mashy experience and uh, the fighting was not nearly as satisfying uh, in addition the animation of both the hars moving around and the fighting moves were eh, less than impressive uh, the game supported multiplayer but slowed down quite a bit during play it also required a system well above the minimum specs for the game to be playable at all all in all battlegrounds wasn't a great game and while it was, in theory, supposed to kick off this roadmap of a new series of many One Must Fall titles, that's the series. And in fact, Diversions Entertainment really ended with, uh, with this game. So with all that and uh, the somewhat unfortunate and sudden end of, uh, of the series, uh, where can you get your hands on One Must Fall 2097 today? Well, this is another one of those uh, lucky ones. At some point in the past, I can't quite pinpoint the exact date. I'm sure uh, someone else will be able to tell me. Uh, Rob Elam released the game as freeware. And if you Google around, you can find it on a ton of sites, including archive.org. You can go to archive.org slash details slash one must fall 2097 to get it. I'll stick that in the show notes Uh, among a ton of other places, a couple of fan sites. I didn't find what I considered to be sort of the, um, an official source for it. Like, you know, I thought there'd maybe be a diversions entertainment page, or maybe Rob Elam had like sort of a personal page where it would be, shared out. So I figure archive.org is probably the the most um, reputable place to get it. And since it's been officially released, you know, I, I don't feel bad pointing people, uh, pointing people to it. Uh, Battlegrounds, not available anywhere for digital purchase as far as I can see. Uh, you can also poke around the internet and find the original version 1.0 demo of One Must Fall, which was originally distributed as freeware. You can also find that on archive.org and again it was even when it first came out distributed as freeware so perfectly acceptable to uh to grab it from uh from wherever you can find it uh there's also a fan remake of 2097 uh named open omf which was intended to make the game more runnable on modern systems and uh support more modern networking protocols for the multiplayer but it looks like that project hasn't been updated since 2014 maybe the the releasing of the 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 game as freeware sort of stuck that in the bud but you know that i i hadn't really mentioned it but you know the multiplayer supported modem play and and ipx uh 
networking, so it doesn't support the internet natively. But uh, I know there are some services like Game Ranger and 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 stuff that I know. Uh, Brian, the space game junkie from the last episode, uses uh, quite a bit for older games like X Wing versus Tie Fighter and things that use IPX networking. So uh, you know that that's a way to go about it. But obviously, it doesn't support uh, you know internet TCP IP uh, that sort of stuff out of the box. Say whatever is in your mind freely. Our conversation will be kept in strict confidence. Okay, so it is time for emails and uh as i said at the top of the show we've got a good a good number a lot more than usual so that will uh that will teach me to go on twitter and gripe that i haven't received any emails uh i was a bit surprised about it you know that that i hadn't received emails because i know this is a very popular game and uh you know you guys in the community on twitter on facebook all that uh came out in spades uh and uh and and got things rolling so let's let's get rolling first uh an email from my good buddy and fellow adventure game round tabler ikifu writes hello joe and the blocker sphere given that i dedicated a 12 minute video to this game uh sending an email is the least i could do i've never been sure if one must fall is a good fighting game or not thing is that's never mattered for a number of reasons. Uh, the general lack of fighting games on the PC springs to mind, especially when your source of new PC games was usually demo discs. But that would suggest I'd accept crap over nothing, which I would. I was a kid at the time, but I digress. Uh, the graphics were pretty good. Cool, angular mech designs. Uh, the detail of the tiny men working on your mech in between fights. The stretched out endgame fighter portraits that haunt my every waking second. Classic stuff. Uh, there's amazing mod or mod sounding soundtrack that I still have on my MP3 player to this day. And I have playing as I write this. That's a big plus. Uh, the news reporter showing the winning blow of the match afterwards, especially the hilarious. If you took a hit at the same time, a great touch. The arena hazards that you can avoid or attempt to use to your advantage that kept things interesting. But what drill really drew me in for OMF was tournament play. I'm an absolute sucker for RPG-like character progression mechanics in video games. So being able to improve not only your pilot and mech, but buy new mechs and use those instead, I was hooked. It's so much more tense when you have to concentrate on how much damage you're taking, knowing that taking too much damage could mean selling off an upgrade to pay for repairs. Some games will include career modes that see you improving with time and reaching the top of your game, but this is the only one that makes me made me feel like I'd done it. Seeing all those bars maxed out, all those upgrades, say upgrade cost unavailable, it's one of my favorite gaming achievements, even if I did it by maxing out my speed stats, then spamming flying punch followed by a bunch of crouching punches. Anyway, that's long enough. I hope that email was a little easier to pronounce. Uh, looking forward to having the show invading my earlobes. Block out with your cock out on. <laughs> <laughs> ikifu king of space well thanks ikifu and you know I, I i am also a fan and that's why in my uh in my youtube sessions i did start i did play through the tournament mode i do do like that that aspect of uh i like any form of, of sort of progression in the game in in games you know rpg like or not especially in games I like RPG-like progression in RPGs, but I, I like it, I think, even more in games that are not RPGs. Like, I really love, like, you know, we talked last episode about about Wing Commander. The thing that I missed of all the other Wing Commander games after Wing Commander 1 was that 
progression of you know your pilot getting promoted in rank getting medals getting ribbons for flying different fighters and uh and being assigned to different squadrons it really feels like you as a character are progressing and growing through the game the same thing in in x-wing and 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 all of that and and here the ability to take this this fighter that has nothing and eventually maxing out all his stats but doing that in a a sequence of progression that you select i think is is it does give you a sort of a sense of ownership over your character even in a game like this where we're really there there's there's no story right especially in the tournament mode there's nothing it's just hey you're you're a fighter in these tournaments people like to watch it on tv and uh you know there, there's a bunch of little things like you said with with upgrading your character upgrading your mech upgrade and and the fact that you know you have to pay for repairs after every fight so you know maybe you won the fight by a hair and maybe that wasn't worth it (laughs) so it's just uh quite quite an interesting concept especially especially in a genre that didn't really exist on the pc they didn't have to do all this stuff because it's not like there were a ton of other fighting games that they were competing with on the platform so it was just pretty cool. And I think, you know, that's credit to, to Rob Elam for, for making the game that he wanted versus, you know, the, the minimum viable product. Now, next up, we have an email from Sergio and he writes, hi, I just read your tweet and though, and thought I could share some thoughts slash memories about OMF. So, well, it was 1999 and I got my first computer after my first one got stolen when someone trespassed and took everything from our apartment. Uh, given that getting new games or any uh, game at all here in Colombia was really hard and my computer was really low tier compared to what current games at the time required to run, I mostly relied on shareware compilations that sometimes my father found on magazines. So one day we were at a local store that sold some computer games and they had two games for DOS. They were Trolls and OMF. Uh, When I arrived home, I installed both only to be disappointed because neither of them would run because of Win16 compatibility issues. Finally, my neighbor had a really old PC, so I went there and played all the afternoon. A month later, I learned how to boot in DOS mode and finally was able to play a new game on my own PC. Love that game. Uh, As maybe you could tell, English is not my native language, so sorry for any inconvenience. Have a nice day, Sergio. Well, Sergio, you know, honestly, I couldn't really tell. That was a, a, a very clear and concisely written email, and that's actually... Interesting. So I guess in 99, yeah, you'd be on Windows. I guess if you're on an older machine, maybe Win95. So yeah, a lot of DOS games would not run natively. Yes, on account of those those Win16 issues. Or if they did run, you wouldn't get sound or, or, or something or your controllers wouldn't work. So yeah, that whole restart in DOS mode uh, side of the world where... You know, I, I sort of remember that. It was kind of an interesting time because it was this this transitional period where... You know, you had these "quote unquote" next gen Win Nine X operating systems, but you still had Dosmo in the background. You still had an auto exec back and a bat and a config.sys that would get loaded on your reboot into Dos mode. So, and I remember for for a very long time, if a game had a Windows ninety five version and a Dos version, I stuck and clung to that Dos version because it was a lot easier to get things running. It was a lot easier to configure things, and the game just ran a lot faster because you know Windows. I felt added um, 
quite a bit of overhead and uh, things just do not run quite as nice. Eventually that changed and DirectX changed all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, out of the out of the gate, DOS mode was the way to play games. So thanks. Thanks very much for that. And, uh, you know, thanks for for seeing the tweet on Twitter and uh, responding. Next up, an email from Alice and Alice writes, hello, I saw that you were looking for memories about One Must Fall 2097. I have quite a few. When I was in my early teens, my dad brought home a floppy disk containing the demo of OMF, along with uh, the demos of two other epic mega games, Zargon and Killablaster. I had a lot of fun with all three, but OMF was definitely the standout. Eventually, I was able to persuade my dad to buy the full version. My friend Nick and I became obsessed with the game. We'd hang out at each other's houses, playing match after match against each other, both using the same keyboard. I'd usually be on the right and he'd be on the left. Uh, Nick had a fondness for the speedier characters and robots. He particularly favored the Jaguar and Shredder, uh, piloted by Milano or Crystal, and managed to pull off some ridiculous combos. Uh, I think his high point was something like a 68-hit combo with Shredder. Uh, I lean towards the more well-rounded fighters, Katana and Gargoyles, were a few of my favorites and preferred my preferred pilots were Cassette, Angel, or Jean-Paul. Uh, I was particularly fond of stomping repeatedly on my opponent's head with the katana or uh, of swooping my opponent into walls over and over again with the gargoyle. Nick and I shared many jubilant moments as we figured out how to perform tricky moves, develop strategies, and defeated difficult opponents. I made a point to learn all the robots as well as I could, even the ones I didn't enjoy playing as much. I printed out a huge guide from GameFAQs and kept it close at hand so I could study and perfect each move. I'd specialize in one robot and devote myself to figuring out all their idiosyncrasies. I was particularly proud of myself for getting really, really good at Flail, definitely one of the weirder robots in the lineup. Uh, I've also developed a particular fondness for Shadow. Uh, These days, Shadow's still my go-to robot for kicking metallic butt. And then, of course, I found out about the scrap and destruction moves, and the game opened up in ways I never expected. There were secret characters. There were unlockable special moves for certain robots. There were extra arenas with insanely difficult secret bosses. I can proudly say that I have defeated Fire and acquired the secret Fireball move for Katana, but I have not yet managed to defeat Ice. Someday, Ice. Someday. To this day, One Must Fall 2097 is probably my favorite fighting game. I've never spent as much time learning the ins and outs of any other fighting game, possibly any other game, period, as I have with OMF. The intro sequence, those dramatic lightning strikes, followed by the first few notes of the main theme song, still sends shivers down my spine. And there's nothing quite as satisfying as those deep clangs of metal slamming against metal. It makes me endlessly happy that OMF still runs just fine on modern day computers and even accepts controller input from controllers that weren't even invented when the game was released, though I still prefer keyboard controls. At some point, I'm planning on streaming a full playthrough of the game where I'll go through the story mode for all characters, do a full tournament run, and show off some of the secrets and cheats. I've also introduced OMF to my boyfriend, who seems to enjoy it quite a lot as well. Much to my surprise, he's displayed some very impressive skill with Kronos, who Nick and I always agreed was the worst robot in the game. Clearly, there are still some gaps in my knowledge of the game, and I've always thought that one of the signs of a really good game is that no matter how much you play it, there's always more to learn. Woo, that got long. Anyways, hope my round leaks were useful to you. If you need anything else, let me know. Alice Sindar on Twitter. Well, thanks very much, Alice, and, and that is amazing, and it really is great you know, to hear from people who really, really love, uh, 
you know, the, the games that I go over, the games that, that I talk about. I definitely played a good amount of, of OMF. I wouldn't say I, I became anywhere close to a uh, an expert at the game, but I would say for a good six months, at the very least, my, my friends and I definitely uh, gave it, ran it through its paces. And uh, I personally don't feel that I have ever played another fighting game on the PC. I don't really think that that the the genre really ever took off on the PC but you know if one must fall 2097 is the the de facto standard even to this day for a fighting game on the PC I think that's a pretty good standard it is a, it is a good game it's a fun game it's a replayable game and uh you know I'm sort of giving a bit of my my opinion about it already but you know you guys are sort of pointing these things out it's it's a fairly unique game and uh you know, just a lot of the, the much like, you know, games like Wing Commander and game, you know, a lot of some, some Sierra games and stuff like that. There's little things about the world, little details. Like you say, the clang of metal on metal makes the robots feel big. The, you know, the way they fight, the way the music is, the way the sound effects are, the way the graphics, you know, are, are shaded and then the way the, the arenas look just really gives you a sense of, of being in the game. And I think that is almost as important if not more important than the game actually even playing well so yeah thanks thanks very much for that and uh, i do look forward to uh to you doing a playthrough if uh you know when you get around to it all right so next up because my lord do we have a lot of emails this time around we have an email from david and david writes hi there it's my first time writing to you and I'm not sure how this works, but you were asking on your Twitter account at UMB show. If we had any memories we could share about the game, one was fall and I wanted to share mine back when I was in college in 2005, I was very poor. I had a PC and internet, but, uh, I really couldn't afford games or consoles. So I would either play pirated games from Kazaa, which were usually loaded with viruses or missing stuff like music and whatnot, uh, to make it smaller to download. Or I would try out some old DOS games from Abandonware websites. One Must Fall was one of them. I've never been a fan of fighting games, but this one stuck with me. The music was awesome, it had giant robots in it, and most of all, it featured a system where you could buy different robots and upgrade them just how you liked. You could decide to improve a bit of everything, or put everything into strength, or give it speed and energy. It was a bit like a fighting RPG hybrid that I had never come across before. Still to this day, I can't seem to find any decent fighting game where the player can level up, and and it's a shame. Now, every time I see anything related to OMF, I remind, I'm reminded fondly of the time when I was in college. It was hard, but I have a lot of great memories from that time, and playing old DOS games on my old crappy PC is one of them. Anyway, that was my story. I hope you uh, use it in your pod. I hope you can use it in your podcast. Have a great day, David Jalbert, uh, Mellowland on Twitter. Thank you so much, David and. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's been mentioned and and that, uh, you know, it's interesting that, well, it's not interesting, but it's notable that, that multiple people mention the, the RPG type elements of uh, of the game. And, and that's that's just super cool. And I think, you know, that that's one of the reasons I do this show and, and one of the reasons that I, this show, you know, this show allows me to go back and replay a lot of these games. And I hadn't thought about One Must Fall for years and years and years. And when I went back to play it, you know, outside of my first experience on the YouTube channel where I didn't have things set up quite right. It's such a fun game. It's like, it's one of those games that, you know, the loop of the game is is very interesting and, and it's, you know, oh, you know, one more fight, one more fight, 
one more fight. And you don't necessarily, maybe you hit a bit of a wall, but not really. And yeah, it's just, some games just get designed in such a way, and maybe it's not on purpose, but they just become, everything just falls into place, and, and they're just great. All right, so I believe this is the, no, no, it's not. So we've got a couple more. Uh, next email from from Robert. And Robert writes, Hey, Joe and UMB listeners, since the call was put out on Twitter asking about memories of the ever-classic One Must Fall 2097, and I know many of our friends have answered, I would also like to contribute my own memories of this, probably one of Epic Mega Games' best releases of the DOS gaming era. My first view of anything related to OMF 2097 was a teaser picture in one of another Epic shareware titles. Uh, back Back then, Epic used to put cool full-color documents advertising their BBSs, CompuServe, and their international resellers. It was either the shareware version of Zargon Beyond Reality or Epic Pinball, which I bought shareware discs of at the same time, that had the teaser pick, a somewhat darkened shot of the Katana bot, and I remembered the line, he isn't going to take no for an answer. I thought the game looked fierce and badass, and I was wondering what it could be for a while. Uh, Flash forward a bit to Christmas 1994. As a stocking stuffer idea, my mom bought shareware discs because they were inexpensive and easy to put in Christmas stocking. Uh, Sure enough, I got the shareware version of One Must Fall 2097. I remember the front cover, a cheesy CGI render of the thorn bot battling a giant metallic dragon, which of course never happens in the game. Uh, And even though I was about to dismiss it and think it looked pretty stupid, I decided to install it and give it a try. Pop it in the shareware disk, install, click, 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 install complete, run setup, launch the game, then it hit. A crashing lightning bolt, that thunderous sound belting from my speakers. Then the title screen came in, and the instant Kenny Chow's techno tracks came blasting through my room, I was sure I found a winner. I spent most of Christmas Day playing through the game, learning each of the pilots and the bots, and finding the best pairings I could with the shareware version. I was shocked. Here, I thought the fighting games on PC were fated to suck something horribly after being horrendously disappointed with the DOS version of Street Fighter 2 and not having owned Mortal Kombat for DOS until recently. And yet, One Must Fall, even with its simple setup, was proving to be a very deep fighting game with well-designed mechanics and playstyle. I was finally happy to own a fighting game that I can finally say makes DOS gaming stand head and shoulders above console gaming. I saved some summer job money and later got the full version of the game and went through every tournament with a super tricked out Jaguar. I remember being stoked to have won enough bread to earn those high-end upgrades, but I also remember my surprise when opponents also leveled up alongside my base stats. Uh, The fights got hairy, but the sheer satisfaction of winning the other tournaments, Kadushai Challenge, War Invitational, and World Championship were among the high points of my gaming days. OMF 2097 still remains a favorite to this day, and I still like to fire it up once in a while for some good old-fashioned Robux Smackdowns. Anywho, that's enough out of me. Thanks for an awesome podcast. Thanks, Robert. And and yeah, and you know, and you're talking about shareware and Christmas and all of that. You know, I, I also remember, you know, the beginning of the shareware days. In the early 90s, I was like 10 to 13 years old, sort of a thing. And you know, you don't have a lot of money when you're 10 to 13 years old. And uh you know, I know in theory, shareware is supposed to be free, but you know, we had this, uh, this computer store near my house. It was more of like a kind of a proto proto office depot or staples or, or whatever called club biz. (laughs) And actually I think it's a staples now today, but, um, 
you know, we'd walk in there and you'd walk to the rack and I was amazed because, you know, being like a 10 year old kid, you don't really understand like business and, and money and selling and marketing and all of that. So, you know, I go to the store and I see a game and I think, you know, for us, for the, di- the share word discs, they charge like three bucks. I guess you, you, you know, you were paying for the, for the, the disc and the label and the printing and the distribution and sort of that so you know and i was like hey it's a video game for three dollars i want to buy this and you know i i could definitely convince my mom to to buy me a a a game for three dollars and yeah it was shareware and it was limited but you know that's how i played initially played you know wolf 3d it's how i initially played uh, games like a lot of the apogee games commander keen crystal caves all that stuff uh omf came later uh but uh yeah, it was it was it was ingenious, really. This this whole mechanism to get people to who didn't necessarily have a lot of money to to buy games and to play them and and to be sort of goaded into or, or baited, if you want, into uh, buying full versions of uh, of some games. Well, that's awesome. So next up, this is the the last of the the worded <laughs> emails. We've got two voicemails left to wrap things up. So let's let's finish off our recited emails with uh, a message from Remy. And Remy writes, hello, UMB. I played One Must Fall when I was a kid. I played quite a bit by myself in tournament mode and with my brother head-to-head. I love customizing my mech's upgrades and even changing mechs at times to switch it up and keep the game feeling fresh. Each mech handled very differently with drastically different attacks and speeds and even unique special moves. I reinstalled last week and played through the tournament for a few hours. Great to be able to revisit the old jam. I was both glad to see it was available as abandoned wear, but simultaneously sad that it had fallen into the bucket. Maybe it didn't sell well? I don't know. I looked up the makers of the game and didn't find much, so maybe it truly was a one-off game. Certainly was unique and the only head-to-head fighter I liked for many years. Ah, good times. Cheers. Remy. Well, Remy, um... Yeah, I guess as as I mentioned, there was a sequel. It was less than than stellar, and uh, you know, Rob Elam still owns the rights to One Must Fall, and and he did release the game as freeware. So you know that that's that's something. So you know, I know sometimes abandonware sites are sort of sketchy and of in a gray area, and in this case, it's not. It's been released. Uh, the thing I don't get is is I know there there have been a couple of efforts to get in contact with Rob and to you know since he owns the rights I don't know if he wants to do something with it again someday, but uh, you know people have been trying to to get the freeware version distributed on GOG and and that hasn't gone anywhere and I believe Rob these days works he's still a game designer developer uh, he works for Sony Online Entertainment I believe and you know maybe that precludes him from from releasing rights or, or doing certain things. Uh, I don't know if Epic, which is obviously still a very popular and very profitable game company, you know, owning things like um, Rocket League and, and and stuff like that. They may still hold on to some, some distribution rights. I don't know. Uh, you know, GOG is usually pretty good at that stuff. And if there's a capability of getting the rights for a game, I know One Must Fall 2097, One Must Fall Battlegrounds falls on the, the they're consistently at the top of the the GOG wish list uh, forums, so you know you can definitely get the game, but uh, it would be cool if it was in the same spot where we get uh, the rest of our stuff. So thanks for that. Okay, so to end things off, we've got two voicemails, one from uh, from Tomer, and uh, let's begin with that. Take it away, Tomer. 
Hi Joe and fellow blockers, uh, One Must Fall 2097, what can I say, this game is awesome, uh, everything from the character design, the, the backgrounds, the menu system, the tournament mode, the wonderful music by Kenny Chow, aka CC Catch of Renaissance, which is a very, very well-known PC demo scene from North America from back in the early 90s. Uh, this game is just awesome, and for the most part, it's the labor of love of one person, namely Rob Ullum, and uh, I've had the opportunity to interview Rob while they were working on the unfortunately pretty uh, obscure and not very successful sequel called One Must Fall Battlegrounds, uh, but the interview, which I imagine you'll be linking to in the show notes, uh, is actually still holds up today. It's still an interesting read. I'm, I'm quite happy that I got to do that because uh, Rob turns out to be a very, very affable fellow and uh, also very, very uh, honest and smart. And it was really, really great to get the chance to talk to him because One Must Fall is really one of those early 90s games that couldn't have happened today because nowadays in order to produce a game in any of sort of the mainstream genres, you need to you know invest insane amounts of budget and, and manpower and back then you could actually make a really really fantastic fighter game with just a handful of people uh, and that's what they did um, there's a whole bunch of things about one must fall that are i wouldn't say ahead of their time but sort of like advanced uh technically so the tournament mode was i think pretty unique for the time i don't remember that many fighters that actually had things like you know, leaderboards and upgrades and that sort of thing. You used to just have a story mode or something like that with the normal set of characters. And here you can actually upgrade your robot, you can switch robots, you can customize your robot for color and stuff, you can upgrade your pilot. It's actually really quite involved and chock full of Easter eggs. If you've never, uh, never looked into uh, kind of all the different things you can do in One Must Fall. You can actually have like a destruction move or a scrap move and that gets you access to uh, secret fights. You get to fight everyone from, you know, just like random characters to just Jackrabbit. Uh, it's actually just a really, really, really well done and fun little game. And uh, uh, it uses track music. So that'd be, you know, the mental equivalent of mod files. Uh, the music is really, really good, regardless of what sound card you run it on, even PC speaker. Nope, oh, looks like Tomer cut off a little bit there, but uh, anyways, thanks for that. And uh, yes, I will uh, absolutely say with no uh, no embarrassment and no and and nothing and, and only great respect that uh, yes, Tomer, your your interview absolutely was one of my primary sources for. Uh, for some of the dev story stuff and some of the information about battlegrounds and all that. So it was really, really, really cool that, that you got to, uh, to reach out and, and talk to Rob and, uh, and all that. And, and, you know, I am very envious of, of, of people like you and like trolls and, and like, uh, Brian, the space game junkie who, who do sort of, uh, reach out to the developers and have conversations with them. It's just not something I'm super comfortable doing, uh, you know, social anxiety and, and all of that. But, um, you know, it's it's something that that uh, is really great and provides me with a lot of source material to uh, to do the shows like like I do. So so thanks very much for for that voicemail. As always, uh, next and finally, uh, I have an email from Philip, who uh, who was actually the impetus for for me to uh, 
go back and, and do a second YouTube video because he watched my first YouTube video and basically pointed out that um, I was running the game way too fast and that was making it not really super fun and uh, you know gave me a couple of other pointers. So I went back, reset some settings, did some reading about what what DOS block settings ooh, excuse me needed to be uh, needed to be set up in uh, in the in the dosbox.conf file to get things going right. So, so total kudos to, uh, to Philip for, uh, reminding me that the game is actually fun and not sort of frustrating like I had initially thought. So take it away, sir. Hello, listeners of the Upper Memory Block podcast. Philip Weissman here. Ah, one must fall. Although I'm not a big fan of the fighting game genre, this game holds a special place in my heart. The music, the style, the gameplay. Come on, it's fighting robots. Back in the day, I only had the demo version of One Must Fall, and that only had, well, a limited amount of characters and a limited amount of robots. It actually even ended in the fight against Raven in his robot Pyros, a robot which he actually could not have, could not play, and could not buy. Later on, I actually got the full game, and it was a blast. It had everything I wanted. More robots, more characters, more fun. Then even more time passed, and I... Well, I actually learned the finishing moves. And those come in mighty handy, especially in the tournament mode, because, well, they provide quite an amount of extra cash. Well, overall, could they have made the robots more creative? Yeah, sure. Could they have made the special moves even crazier? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But the story mode really sold this game to me. Come on, you could level up robot and pilot individually. You would meet recurring characters that still had their traits from the one-player mode. And lots of different robots to try out and master. And... If the game ever got too hard for you, well, you always could grind your way to the top. Just do a tournament once more, repeat some fights, earn some more cash, and you can finally afford that one upgrade that really helps to win the game. So, overall, give this game a chance. It's really fun. Keep on blocking. Philip out. Thank you, Philip. And, and it's funny. So right, right at the beginning, I, I, I'm sensing through all of these emails and voicemails a little bit of a theme, right? And, and, and to me, that theme is I'm a PC gamer. I don't really like fighting games or I sort of like Street Fighter on consoles, but there were no good fighting games for PC. I'm not a fan of fighting games, but I like One Must Fall. That's that's the, that's the the one short sentence that I will say that encapsulates what people think of One Must Fall 2097. I'm not a fan of fighting games, but I like One Must Fall. And why is that? And and I think everyone has sort of um, equivocated a lot on on that and and why that is. And I think a lot of it has to do not so much with the fighting, but but with the the progression sort of aspect of of the game. And I think that's that's really cool. So thank you, Philip, and thank you, everyone. Holy crap, guys! That was a lot of emails. That is amazing, and that's that's what I love because me talking for an hour is is well all well and good, 
you guys seem to enjoy it. I might not listen to myself talking for an hour, but uh, I'm glad you guys enjoy it. But having everyone's opinions and everyone's memories is, is, is so much better than just me going, and I remember this game, and, and it was built in 1994, and blah, 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 blah. So all of that, uh, thanks very much, and, and let's roll into, uh, into, into wrapping things up a little bit. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So now that we've heard from everyone else, uh, and and you, at this point you've basically heard from me as well, but uh, you know let let's let's make it official. Does one must fall twenty ninety seven hold up today? Well, I sure think it does. Uh, now I'm going to say that with one one small caveat, which is probably not even a real caveat. I mean, as as we know, this is an old style two D fighting game in the spirit of Street Fighter two, and if we want to stack it up against. I almost feel stupid saying this more modern 3D fighting games. Maybe that's not a fair comparison. But then again, are fighting games even really still a thing? At least on the PC? I, I don't I don't know. I can't really think of any. I mean, you know, there was all that all the the additional the Mortal Kombat's and Street Fighter 3 and Street Fighter 4 came out. There might be a Street Fighter 5 uh coming out, but I think that's more of a nostalgia trip than anything. And yeah, you had like Virtual Fighter and, and a lot of stuff you know, come out in the later, the latter half of the nineties, the early two thousands, there was that stupid star Wars masters of Terracossi thing that was garbagey. But I, I don't feel like on the PC, like I still feel like one must fall as I've said is, is sort of the, the standard for fighting games on the PC. And please feel free to email me and, and tell me that I've, I've totally forgotten something because I, I'd like, I'd like to know, you know, um, and when what I'm getting at here is is for what it is, One Must Fall is is an incredible game. The controls are awesome. The game modes are are fun. They're creative. The concept of matching pilots to robots is is a novel one and offers more replayability than usual. The hazards in the arenas keep you on your toes. Overall, this is a wonderful game. It looks good. It sounds amazing. It plays well. It really does deserve to be played, and it's free. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, what do you have to lose aside from a little bit? of time give it a whirl it, it really 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 is worth it okay so that is that for another show as i said this one has gone a, a little bit long because of all the emails that you guys sent but that is absolutely the perfect reason for a show to go along and and i can only hope that i keep getting this this amount of email when uh when i hit some uh sort of, uh, I don't want to say popular games because I tend to cover mostly popular games, but when I hit a game that particularly hits a chord with people, I do love that sort of a flood of messages uh, comes in. So, you know, despite the fact, as I said at the top of the show, that this one is a little bit late in in schedule, I'm still going to aim to get the next show out before the end of July uh, for that episode and and perhaps in an effort to, to do that. I'm planning on covering the 1991 Dynamics adventure game Heart of China. Uh, aside from Willy Beamish and Space Quest V, I've never really played any other Dynamics adventures, so this should be totally entertaining and please if you remember heart of china if you've played heart of china or if you have uh, some other memories drop me a line i love hearing from you guys i can't say it enough to do that of course 
Send email or audio comments to podcast at umbcast.com. Thank you to Rick Moyer for his wonderful audio work. You can find his stuff over at moyermultimedia.com. And, uh, you know, you can find him over on the radio. He's sort of, a, in my mind, a mini celebrity over in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, don't forget, if you enjoy the show, you can support me over at patreon.com slash umbcast. Check out the show notes at umbcast.com. Uh, you know, join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash umbcast. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash UMB show. Uh, you can find the show on YouTube at youtube.com slash UMB cast where I put up game research videos. There's two videos about, uh, about one must fall. I recently finished a playthrough of mech warrior two before that a playthrough of wing commander two. And I am about to start a playthrough of the original fallout, which, uh, May, may last quite a while depending i don't quite remember how long it takes to uh to get through fallout but uh i had a hair to play fallout so i'm gonna play some fallout and uh, i will play it until uh i'm bored or until you guys tell me that it sucks so uh keep an eye on the youtube channel for that subscribe to the show on itunes stream us live at stitcher radio that is that and we will see you next time for heart of china here in the upper memory block
battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join us.